like we had some folks make it home after Christmas. All right. <laughs> Hope everybody had a good Christmas. We're, uh, we are already live. We welcome all you guys that are joining us, wherever you're joining us from. <clears throat> Got a new year coming up, so this Sunday you want to be here. We're going to do some stuff to get prepared for our spiritual journey in next year. And uh, some of you have been around and when we've done our impossibility list. And we're going to do another new one this year. So and I know uh, it's encouraging to look back at your impossibility list if you haven't lost it. Um, and to be able to mark something off, say, God done that. So the impossibility list is designed for you to put things on there that you can't make happen. That it's going to take God to make them happen. That's why we do those. So those are the things we pray about. So if you, somebody's salvation, obviously you and I can't save anyone. So it takes God. Maybe it's a health issue or a financial issue, whatever the case may be. We just want you to put five or ten things on that list so you can be thinking about that. You that are watching can join us with that wherever you're at. Thinking about things that you want to put on that list this Sunday that you can't make happen. It would take God to have, for that to happen. Uh, because we, uh, we were just studying last night uh, at the well uh, how that he can do far above what we can even think or ask. Now I've talked to some of y'all. Some of y'all think some big stuff. And I can too. We can ask for some big stuff. But God said he can do beyond that. So we have an awesome God. We have a loving God. But we also have a powerful God. The all-powerful God. So uh, I'm excited about stepping into this new year. Especially the way it works out. The last day of the year is going to be this Sunday. And so we'll be talking about forgetting things that are behind. That'll be a challenge for some folks. And pressing on. And getting this impossibility list up to date so that we can see and have some expectation of what God is going to do in our lives this coming year. Let's pray. I need, I need the Holy Spirit to direct me. I need, I need the tongue of the learned tonight. This is tough sledding through here. And I'm going to show you why in just a minute. Uh, but some stuff to try to uh, maneuver through here and try to find the mind of the Lord and what He's trying to say to us here. So let's pray. Lord, we thank You for... Uh, grace and mercy of which none of us would be standing if it weren't for that. You told us it's because your mercies are new every day that none of us that were not consumed. So we're, we are so grateful for your mercy. And Lord, as we go through here tonight, I need you to give me the tongue of the learn. I need you to speak through me. I don't want to assume anything. But I want you to give us clarity and understanding that will impact our lives uh, so that we can be more like you and be more effective believers. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your word. We thank you for all you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go to James chapter 4. And... Uh, let me share some stuff with you. Rob, will you hand me that book that's in the front of that? There's a big thick book there. It's in the, the other front. So I brought some books out here to kind of help you and I understand some things. Uh, so in James chapter 4, James is a very practical book, but there's, there's some stuff right in here uh, that I want you to, maybe all of us to be able to get a hold of. Uh, I don't claim to know everything, but I know the one who knows everything. So if we get some help from him, uh, he says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? And uh, so here's our problem. Let me put this on the board here. Most of you have seen me do this before when I illustrate uh, eros and agape. Agape is love with a straight arrow. Eros, we illustrate that with a love with a hook. Uh, 
because it's love with a motive. I've got myself in mind. I may look like this is what we, we, we do. It looks like love, but there's an ulterior motive. And so that's what the Holy Spirit's good about, checking our motives. When I first come into the ministry, uh, I went to hold a, a preach a couple of nights in the, in the worst community uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, that every, every larger city has communities where drugs are really laid hold of that community and so, uh, when I was driving down in there to preach, uh, I remember seeing 10 and 12 year old uh, children on the street corners that looked like zombies. They were uh, so out, strung out. Young children and, and older children. And, and, you know, you can go to Kansas City and find that. You can go just about any larger cities. And you can actually, you can go up and holler and find that anymore. But back then, because I'm getting older, it was a shock to me to see a 12-year-old boy standing on a street corner blowed out of his mind. But I went down to preach in an in a, in a inner-city church, and it was um, uh, the pastor, after the, at the end of the service, he uh, was coming to pray for me, and he prophesied over me some things. And one of the things he said to me, and I was new and just stepping into preaching, he said, no matter what you do, even if it's something good, always check your motive. Always check your motive. Make sure your motives are pure. So I think that is a challenge for all of us because we live in a culture uh, that is self-centered. It's all about me. What can I get? Get out. This business that the Bible teaches is few and far between out there that tells us things like, care more about the things of others than you do your own stuff. That's not how the world lives. Hey, that's probably not how most of the church lives, but that's how we're challenged to live, to bear one another's burdens, to care more about, to prefer one another. No, you go first. No, you go first. And so that's a challenge. So here's what he says. He says, you're, you have trouble because your desires for pleasure, and I like to describe it like this, uh, you you have self-seeking. And Paul talks a lot about that in different places. And so uh, originally uh, this symbol for Eros was a snake with its own tail in its mouth. Or if some of you know that's uh, a nittany line off Penn State looks like. With, with its own tail in its mouth. But it's, it was supposed to be a snake with its own. So he's consumed with himself. And that's how this culture, satanic, the Bible says Satan is the God of this world. That's how he promotes it. I need mine. I got to have mine. I don't care what happens to everybody else. And so that's why Christianity was so different. You had people who were sacrificing. You remember I shared with you back when COVID hit that I read some stuff about the early church, how they, uh, a plague hit that was far more devastating than the one we went through. Uh, wiped out millions and millions of people, and the conditions were not uh, the sanitary, the technology, just and the churches had kind of just kind of run and hid. And finally, one bishop stood up and said, "Hey, this ain't who we are. We got to go out and minister to these people that are dying, being left in the streets. They can't even their own families won't fool with them." And so the church came back to life during that time, and it had so many converts. Because they cared more about others than they did themselves. Now this is a hard verse. And we sing about it. And we, we look good when we sing about it. But let me ask you something. When, it hits, when the rubber hits the road, is this who we are? He said, They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and the fact that they did not love their lives even unto death. In other words... They were willing to lay their life down. Is that who the modern church is? As a group, probably not. But is that who you are? Is that who I am? Would we, is what Jesus done in our life worth us laying our lives down for? Now we like the figurative side of that, the spiritual side of that. Oh yeah, that's what we do. 
but would you do it in the natural? Some of those Christians, if you all remember some of the stuff I was sharing with you, some of those Christians who got out in the streets and helped the people with the plague, some of them died. Some of the people with the plague got better. And then some of the people who were lost became born again. That was the goal. We only have a little bit of time here. It's like a vapor, the Bible says. We're just passing through. What's really going to matter is where you and I, or anybody else for that matter, is going to spend eternity. That's really what matters. So this is the problem. Love with no motive. That's God's kind of love, agape. Eros is how we love in the natural if we're not careful. And we still fight that, I think, even because we're in, stuck in this flesh until we receive a glorified body. But we, we're... Uh, struggle with that, right? Take care of my needs before what? And so he says, you don't, he said, you desire for pleasure, they war in your members. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. And of course, if you go back to what Jesus taught, he talked about how murder and lust and things can be heart issues and you not actually even follow through with them in the natural. And he's, they can just be real in, inside of us. You, you, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Now, we cannot be too proud to ask. We cannot, and that maybe brings us back a little bit to that impossibility list we're going to do Sunday. That you cannot be too proud to ask. If there's something you can't do, why not take it to the Lord? Why not ask Him for wisdom every day? Instead of getting up and thinking you've got a handle on everything. Because we don't. And he says, you do not have because you don't ask. But then he qualifies that. The next verse said, you ask and do not receive. So some won't ask. And then some will ask. But they still will not receive. Because you ask amiss. And then he comes right back to this first principle we talked about here. He says, you, you don't receive even though you do ask. Because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So, it's a self-centered person. The worst form of idolatry is to put ourselves in front of everything, including God for most of the world. And so, he comes right back to that. He says the reason some people are not receiving because they're not asking, and then some people are asking and they're still not receiving because they're asking amiss, that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Let's throw that prayer journey up there real quickly if we can. So he says, uh, <clears throat> you, you, you've got this struggle going on. And your heart is set on your selfishness. And then he comes right back to that. Now, when you and I pray. And this is what we started this. There's so much to learn. Well, this is something the Lord showed me, showed me many years ago now. When we pray, this is a model. It's not a religious, Pharisaic design. It's a model. So I'm not trying to tell you how to pray. I'm just trying to tell you how to pray. I'm not trying to tell you what to say, but I'm trying to give you a pattern to use so that you can get the most out of your time with God. So, and you, you don't need to be skipping steps. Because that's, that's why a lot of folks don't really have a prayer life. Most people don't have a... Most people, if you talk to them about prayer, the only thing they understand is this piece of furniture right here. And most of them wouldn't call it that because they don't understand what that means. I'm talking about church folks. And you'd be surprised the number of people I've heard over the years say to me, I can't pray more than two or three minutes. I run out of things to say. Oh, that's half the problem. Because you think prayer is only you talking. And that's not prayer. Prayer is an invitation to spend time with God where you get to talk some and He gets to talk some. So the first thing, we, we, most people skip all of these other pieces of furniture and they run straight back here. And this altar of incense that was in the tabernacle in the temple is, uh, represents our prayers petition. He said, our prayers rise as incense before him. The New Testament talks about the fellow there that everybody's high on because his prayers are a memorial. He keeps bringing up things before the Lord because he's a prayer, 
right? It's one thing to go and complain about it. It's another thing to take stuff to the Lord. Think about that for a minute. Complaining don't help any of us. So they come back here because this is why their prayer, prayer time is two minutes. They skip all this. They come back here and they tell God what they think he ought to be doing. Right? God, this is what I see. Don't you see it? I would, and, and ask, kind of bring God into their feelings, right? Into their desire. Now, the reason walking through here is so important because by the time you get back here, you want the Holy Spirit to be leading your prayer into the will of God. You don't want to be praying your will. You want to be praying His will. If you skip all of this, you'll be back here telling God what you think ought to be going on. Right? And you'll base most of that based on what you've seen in the natural. Right? Instead of heard from the Holy Spirit in the time of prayer. So the first thing you do is, you, here's the gate. that is Out the east, there's only one way in. This is all a picture of Jesus. Only one way to get to the Father. Through Jesus. So there's... I don't really want to get caught up in that because I could teach you from this for the next three years and never go anywhere else in the Bible because there's so much to learn about man, so much to learn about God, so much to learn about prayer, so much to learn about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We could spend years on this. But you come through here, the gate, only one way in, and you come in with thanksgiving. The Bible teaches us, right? Enter, his gates with, enter the gates with thanksgiving. First thing you want to do is be given thanks. Right here's where you repent. And that's generally the way the flesh is designed. Or the way we think, I should say. We, we think, well, I don't need to do anything until I repent. And that's not, what the, that's not the process. You need to give thanks that you even got a place to repent. And that God would accept our repentance through His Son, Jesus. So thanksgiving is what gets us through the gate. Praise is the next thing we do. I'm talking about in your prayer time. If the only time you praise is in church, shame on you. Shame on you. You should be praising God in your truck, in your vehicle, in your, in your prayer closet. Spend a little time giving God thanks and giving praise. Because your whole life was designed by Him, not just church time. And so, he, he come, so we, then the first thing we met with is the altar of repentance or the burnt offering altar. So... If you got something between you and God, you need the reason he put this piece of furniture first is so you could get that off you. Because if you that'll be a hindrance to you during your prayer time. Nobody needs anything between them and God. You need to drop that, get get rid of that here. God designed that beautifully. Then you come to this next piece of furniture, which is the laver, which is where the, the priest would wash after they sacrificed. They would wash their feet. They would wash their hands. This laver was built with the women's mirrors inside. So when they looked in it, originally before they washed the blood off them, their hands, they saw their own reflection. Once they washed their hands, they no longer saw their reflection. The blood filled the water and all they could see the blood. That's how we are when we're saved, right? We, the Lord no longer sees us, but He sees the blood that's covering us. But this, Paul said, we're sanctified... By the washing of the water of the word. So you give thanks, you give praise, you repent. And then you, uh, speak, I speak the word over myself. I, I declare myself the righteousness of Christ. All that kind of stuff. So all of this is going on. And so I'll, I'll tell you, if you'll use this as a model, you'll spend time with God. Uh, you're not going to say the same things I'm going to say. We, whatever, you may spend more time repenting than somebody else that day or whatever. And then you go to the table of showbread, which represents communion or fellowship with God. And I call that having a cup of coffee with God. Just be real with Him. Tell Him how you feel. He already knows, but it's good for you to let it out. Tell God where you're at, what's going on. Just let Him hear all that coming out of your mouth. And then what's happened, you've been cleansed, you've been renewed. You've had good fellowship, then the Holy Spirit gets involved and, and gets involved in your journey at, that you're taking so that when you catch, that's what the, the menorah represents or the candlestick, that you come back here 
that the Holy Spirit has taken this journey. You've got a clean heart, a clean mind. You've been fellowshipping with the Father. The Holy Spirit involves Himself so that when you get here, you can pray and not pray amiss. All right? You want to pray and make your potato. You want to ask God for things. He's okay with us asking. But you can see what happens if you skip all this stuff. You're not going to have much time with the Lord. And you're going to miss the benefits of everything that God's trying to do to bring you to that moment where you can pray according to His will. Now, I've shared this story before, but years ago, probably the most, the part of my family that was the most blessed in the natural, I, I had come home and I went straight to the creek bank every day to pray when I got home from the mines. And I, I wasn't married at the time, so I, went, I would go to the creek bank when I got home from the coal mines and pray every day because I knew God had called me and that I was making preparation for that. So I would go pray every day at the creek bank. And this particular day, I was praying for um, this part of my family that I was mentioned earlier. And, and I was praying religious prayers. And I was saying, Lord, bless them. You know, Lord, do this. And, and the Holy Spirit is like I ran into a wall. He, uh, he said, bless them. I have blessed them. He said, you need to pray that I'll break them. You see that? That's not easy for the flesh to do. When God asks you to pray a prayer for somebody because he's going to do something inside of them that ain't really none of our business. He's asking us to pray according to His will, not my desire. And that, that's what you'll find happening if you'll spend time with God before you make your request known. Then you will find that you'll pray more poignant prayers and you won't miss. You'll be praying things according to His will, not just what you see. The Bible says it's not the seeing of the eye how we judge anything. Right? So he knows things that are deeper than us. So he brings us into this moment where we pray according to his will and not ours. And then after you pray your petitions, you want to slip behind that veil. It's been rent so we can go back there. And that's when you shut your mouth and wait on the Lord. Prayer, if you thought prayer was your talking the whole time, you've distorted prayer. You want to get behind that veil and wait on the Lord. And let me say something else. When we're gathered like this as a body, read how the Bible tells us. It says, if you've got a need, come and pray, right? But the Bible also says, make your request known unto God. I think some people get on social media and make it known to everybody but God. Get in your prayer closet and quit worrying about if brother or sister so-and-so knows and talk to God who can do far above what we can think or ask. There's a time to hand off requests. Get it. But I think some people, their whole life is about telling everybody their request and leaving God out of the loop, quote-unquote. The Bible's very clear about some things. Make your request known to God. Let God hear that come out of your mouth that you recognize Him as your Father. Get comfortable with Him. Understand who He is and what He's designed so that when you are doing what James is talking about, you're not missing, praying amiss. You're going back there, listen, I can, if I walk in a children's hospital, I can get so emotionally overwhelmed and driven. I want to see, I want to go in there and dump oil all over them, lay hands on them, and get them all out of there. But that's, that's me, right? We got to have the mind of the Spirit so that when we pray, we're not praying 18,000 things and one of them are getting answered. And so we want to be led by the Spirit when we pray. And Paul said we can't pray without understanding. That's what people are doing. They're going into a prayer closet and they're not really developing a relationship with God. 
Do you understand that's what this is all about? It ain't about how spiritual we think we are. It really ain't about how good our church services are. What it's all about, or primarily about, is you and I having such a close relationship with God that it supersedes everything else in our life. How many church services do you think Paul missed because he's in prison? Probably many. But he never missed his presence with God. He had better church services than a lot of churches have in jail. Because he recognized. What do you think Elijah was doing? When he was out there working on behalf of the Lord. And the Bible said when he would talk. Think what he's saying here. He, he would share on God's behalf. He said. And he would say bring God into the moment. He'd say Jehovah in whose presence I now stand. That's what I want us to understand. God wants to be involved in your life at home, at work. He didn't put you in your circle for you to get money and have a retirement. That's secondary. He put you there to be and I to be witnesses for Him. That's the number one reason we have the circle we have. We belong to God. And He wants to be part of every part of our lives. I told you this is rough sledding. It's going to get rougher, though. Buckle your seatbelts. It's not going to get rougher for you. It's going to get rougher for me trying to explain this. And so then he says, you want to do it on your own pleasure. So he circles right back around. And verse 4 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And that's where the church is struggling at today in America. The church is trying to fit in with the world, which we were never told to do that. In fact, we were told to come out from among them and be separate. We don't get in some room somewhere with clocks, coins, and calendars and decide how much God can get done. Because He's not bound with clocks, coins, and calendars. We live by faith. And we don't win the loss by looking like the world. And doing the same things the world does. We have to be separate. But he says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And that's the struggle the church is having right now. That's the struggle in America, I believe. And that's the struggle that the Corinthian church had. The Corinthian church was in such a debauched city and there was believers in there and they were battling because there was so much immorality in the Corinthian culture that the church was really fighting to resist that and not be swallowed up into that. If you remember, that's the church where uh, the stepson was living with his stepmother. And Paul had to come in and straighten all that out inside the church, so-called. And then that's also the place where he said, this guy won't stop sinning, so set him outside the church so that his flesh will be destroyed, that his soul might be saved. In other words, Paul said it's so important that he gets to heaven that it's worth him losing his natural life. You understand that? That's pretty powerful language. We don't like that kind of stuff in modern church. But that's, that's what Paul said. He said, stick the guy outside the church so that he can, his flesh might be destroyed, that his soul might be saved. So you had these people in this Corinthian culture and that culture was trying to rub it, bring itself into the church. And, and Paul was having to deal with that. Then he says, uh, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself the enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit, and that's capitalized here, who dwells in us yearns, dwell, yearns jealous, jealously. So when this tug of war is going on, God's Spirit, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share because there are countless translations that have that with a little s. There are several translations that have it with a big S. And then my Greek text had it with a big S. So I'm sticking with the big S. Alright? And that changes the whole dynamic of what's going on here. And the problem that we see here, he says... He's talking about the struggle that you and I have in the flesh 
trying to win the wars. And, and, and we all know this battle's real. Doesn't mean you have to succumb to it, but we know there is a challenge in all of us not to put ourselves first, right? Not to put our own desires and that's what we want God to do instead of His will, right? That's a battle we all deal with, right? We understand that. This is what I want to see happen, God. And, and God says, well, this is, what we re- this is what really needs to happen. And we don't have any understanding of that, right? <clears throat> and my, my family really got challenged with that a little over two years ago. Most of you know about the story with little Grace. We, we really got challenged with that. Our desire, and we could, we could justify our desire. We could see how beneficial it would be for a little girl to be raised in the house of God. A little girl that was already had her arms up worshiping. You see the battle. That battle's real, but God done something different. Now, let me, let me share something with you that will help you. When your faith and God's sovereignty... When they collide, His sovereignty is going to win. And they do collide. Sometimes our desire, we want to see this happen, and God does something different on us. And that's where trust comes in. That's why I was telling you, that's where relationship comes in. People that don't build their relationship with God, when something don't go the way they think they ought to, they'll bail a lot of times. And so he says, look what he says. The thing the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. All right? So God's spirit is jealous for our devotion. But he's got a lot of competition. A lot. Let's go to, let me shoot a few verses up here on the board. Exodus 20 and 5, I believe it is. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a what? Jealous God. In other words, he don't want us doing the wrong thing. Go to the next one, uh, Exodus 34 and 14. For you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is jealous. Is a jealous God. Now, he just said people who would live that way, right? He, said, he called them adulterers and adulteresses. In other words, betraying. He says, you're, you're betraying me. You're becoming a friend of the world and my enemy. That's what God was saying there. When, you're, when you fall in love with the world, when you have this friendship with the world, And then the next one is uh, Deuteronomy 4 and 24. And again, you'd be surprised. This is not all of them. I just picked a few out. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And then the last one is Joshua 24 and 19 that I'm going to use. But there's a lot of times the Bible describes God as jealous. But Joshua said to his people, You cannot serve the Lord for as a holy God, He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sin. Why would God be jealous for us? It's His love. His love. We're not talking about the kind of jealousy where He's... uh, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? He's offended. But we're talking about the kind of jealousy that loves us and protects us. God's desire... There's a preacher that I've sit under a few times that his wife... He, he's a pretty big time preacher. He's known all over the world. And he said he went to this conference to speak. And he said to his wife, notice a woman that was trying to get in on him. And he said, his wife said, she's after you. And he said, ah, nah. And his wife said it again because this woman would kept getting in his face. And he said, she's after you. And he said, nah. You know, he said he was just blowing it off. And the third time that this happened, he said his wife took her fingernails and stuck them right there. Do you know how sensitive that is? And she drove them into his arm and said, I said, she's after you. And he said, I said, she's after me. (laughs) But his wife's 
love for him was protecting him. You see that? That's the kind of God we serve. He wants us protected. He wants us... He, want, he has our well-being in mind. And so he, he's jealous over us. And he, he is, he's proclaims himself as that. So the, the spirit that's inside of us that he gives us, that spirit is jealous that we would not give ourselves back to the world or to the things of the world. Then he says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says... God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. I think it's the German translation, but one of the other translations somewhere over there in, the, in, the, in Europe says it like this. God, gives access, God resists the proud and gives access to Himself to those who are humble. That's a pretty powerful thought. God resists the proud, but He gives access to Himself to those who who are humble. So I want to say something to you. I, I'm intense about what I do in the ministry. And I spend a lot of time doing it. And, but I'm going to tell you why. Because we're in a war. This ain't, oh, we're, we're going to do our thing. They're, we're in a war. And what's at stake? The eternity of men and women. Not their retirement. Not whether or not they're going to have this or that. Eternity's at stake. That's why I'm serious about this. And God is serious about it too. That's why His Spirit is so jealous over us. He said He resists the proud, gives grace to those or access to those who are humble. Therefore, submit to God. So He, he brought all this stuff, the battle that, that goes on, and He says, bring yourself into submission to God. This is something we need to get a hold of. The secret to victory is not trying harder. The secret to victory in your life and mine is surrender. That's the secret to victory. The secret to winning is surrender. That's why he said... You, your praying is distorted because that stuff inside of you is wanting it for you instead of His glory. Can we say, God, use my life for your glory? Can we really say that and mean it? And what does that entail once we surrender our rights? He says, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Now think about that kind of life. A life where the devil's trying to get away from you instead of you trying to get away from him. That's what he's trying to lay out for us here. He's saying if you're going to befriend the world and, and want to run with the world, this is the issue, this is kind of trouble you're going to have. And you're going to wind up being my enemy. He says, but if you'll let my spirit, which is jealous over you, can lead you and protect you, he said, and get humble, right? You get humble, therefore, and submit to me. Submission is the key to Christianity. Surrender. He says, and then the devil, if you resist him once you've submitted to God. Now that's the first part of it. Sometimes we have Christians trying to resist the devil and rebuking him and everything else. But they're not submitted to God. And the devil's just standing there laughing about it. You can't rebuke the devil and push him away. If you're not submitted to God. And what does that mean? Well, look at your life. Are you obeying God? Are you obeying in the little things? I think a lot of people want to let things go. And then when they get up here, they're not submitted to God, but they're ready to rebuke the devil. That's not how this works. There's violations. So he says, he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. What a message. If we want to live unto ourselves, we're going to find ourselves in much heartache. But if we're, and sometimes it just don't make any sense, right? One of my favorite stories was a guy that I pastored many years ago. He got saved. He, he grew up rough. 
hard and poor, all of the above. He grew up in a rough circumstance. He grew up where he wasn't allowed to do nothing but work and just hard labor as a young boy. Nothing after school. Had to go straight home and work and alcoholism, all that kind of stuff. He got saved. And when he got saved, he had three people, three children and a wife. He had a car with the side of it, tore out of it, rough looking car. He was working two jobs, living in a, a 50 foot mobile home. That was five of them trying to live in it. And he said to me, he said, the Holy Spirit started dealing with him about tithing. And he thought he was so poor, he couldn't tithe. Right? Have all of us been there? Maybe someone. And uh, he said to me, after church one day, he came to the altar. I, I didn't know what he was praying about, but he, he prayed in the altar. It was pretty, pretty intense prayer time for him. And after church, he... he He'd come to him. This is one of the greatest things I've ever heard. So simple how God talks. He said, um, he said, when I was praying today, he said, the Lord spoke to me. He said, I was really struggling about honoring God with my money. He said, I was just struggling with that. He said, because I, we're so poor. And he, he worked a job that he didn't get paid very much at. And then he went to work at uh, the chicken house. That's what we called it after that. And worked in the evening. And he said, but the Lord spoke to me today. And he said, you mean to tell me? And this is how good mountain boy would have said it. He said, the Lord said, you mean to tell me you'll trust me with your eternal salvation, but you won't trust me with your money? That's, that'll lay you on your back, won't it? The Lord said to him, you'll trust me with your eternal salvation, but you won't trust me with your money? I can't tell you how many financial blessings he had once he turned and stepped into that moment. How God blessed him. He's immensely blessed financially. Owns rental property, all kinds of stuff now. Went from a guy barely surviving, got to give his life to Christ, and started living by God's principles. I'm not embarrassed to tell you. You know how we give around here. We take it up the back door. We don't put no pressure on anybody to give. You can give if you want to. But I'm telling you how it works. And anybody that knows how it works will tell you the same thing. You ain't never going to outgive God. You and I are so far in the hole to start with by the cross. We ain't never going to catch up. And he is so full of blessing. That's how it works. I'll never forget that as long as I live. And I think about that not just about with money, but I think about it in other things. I hear that in my mind. You mean you'll trust me with your eternal salvation, but you won't trust me with you fill in the blank. Think about what we've done. When we gave our life to Christ, we said we believe you will come back for us someday. Even if we're in the grave, we believe you'll get us out of it. So what can we not fill that blank in with? We will trust Him with our eternal salvation, but we won't trust Him with what? What is it we won't trust Him with? Think about that widow woman. When the prophet showed up, the preacher showed up, and she's, he says, uh, you know, feed me first. <laughs> Ooh. And, that gives, and everybody's thinking, what kind of preacher or prophet's that way? Put me in front of your own son. But that wasn't what was going on. She, he was giving her the chance of a lifetime, right? She's in a famine. She's got enough meal left in that barrel to feed her and her son one more time. And you know what her outlook was? We're going to eat one more time and then die. Now that ain't much of an outlook. So here comes the prophet. And he says, uh, what's going on? They go through. And she said, well, won't he? he says, why don't you feed me first? Sounds just like a preacher, don't it? They said, the only thing you have to do to get a stray dog and a preacher to come back is feed him, right? So he tells her that, but he's given her the chance of a lifetime. This is God's man showing up, giving her a chance to have faith. But do you not think that was the longest walk in her life? Back to where that meal was at, thinking, oh my goodness, how can I feed him before I feed my own son? This is not working out. She had some decisions to make going all the way back there. And when she gets back there... She gets that meal and feeds him first. And then you know the rest of the story, right? God keeps the barrel full of meal till the famine is over. You, 
you ain't never going to outgive God. When's the last time you've done something by faith? Step into that moment. God loves faith. He loves it. In fact, he said it's impossible to please him without it. And so God gives us opportunities to interact with him. Let's not miss those opportunities. This wasn't about that, that guy there, or the prophet. It was about her. God was going to feed his man. He wasn't going nowhere. But God said, stop over there. I'm going to give this widow woman a chance of a lifetime. Now, where do you think her faith went when she went back and saw that barrel with meal in it every day? Her faith went to the moon. What do you think happened to these three Hebrew boys? When they're down there and, uh, and, and getting ready and, and they're told to kneel and bow. How many, what do you think went through? They're just like we are. They were probably thinking, man, should we just do this? Let's, this you know the devil was tempting them. Let's, let's just not worship. We'll bow down. Let's get along. Right? That's what we're being challenged to do with the world right now. Let's get along. Don't cause no waves. Let's just bow. We won't really worship. Right? How many, how many so-called Christians you know would have, made, would have reasoned that right out? They didn't do that. They stood their ground. They stood their ground and said, Hey, let's let the king know uh, whether the Lord... I love, this, I love this line. Whether the Lord delivers us from the fire or not, we're not bound and we know God will deliver us from the king. We know that. So they, they were ready. So they get thrown in the furnace, right? And the Bible says when they bring them out, they didn't even smell like smoke. The only thing that was different about them was the things that had them bound were loosed. So you, may not, you and I have to go through the fire sometimes, but the fire's not designed to destroy us. The, the fire's designed to set us free. They came out, and I'm speaking that to you all tonight, that you may go through a fire, but you're, God's using that fire to cut those things off of you that don't need to be on you. Now, how do you think their faith? Their faith shot to the moon like a rocket after that. Don't miss those moments. Don't, don't reason them out in the natural and look at them and say, this is going to be rough or that can't be right. Just walk with God. Spend time with Him. Get the mind of the Spirit so that when things come up, you can step. That widow woman made the right decision. My buddy made the right decision. He could barely even put food on the table. And now he's blessed out of his socks. But he made the right decision. He took the moment. We're not talking about your money and your stuff. God don't need any of that. We're talking about relationship. We're talking about putting God first in everything. That's what we're talking about. Doesn't matter if it's money or tennis shoes. Just, just make sure God is first in your life. And don't have places in your life that God can't go. Let him in all of it. I'll guarantee you. And I speak from experience. I guarantee you, God will run your life better than you ever have. He will run it better than you ever have. Or I have. I'm about to preach. Sorry. <laughs> so he says, uh, he says, let their laughter be turned and their mourning to joy, to gloom. Humble yourselves inside the Lord. He will lift you up. That is the, that's what God wants us to know. Listen, I don't have a substitute for any of us, myself included, for, no, for lack of obedience. Read the Bible and do what it teaches. That, that, really that simple. I preached a little eight-minute clip when we were out at the Grand Canyon. Do what he says. That, that's really the secret to following him. Do what he says. And guess what? Everything he's asked us to do and every journey he takes us on is designed for our benefit. He's, that's why he's doing it. He loves us. Amen? So, let's see. Where did I want to close? He says, uh, let me look at verse 8 again, then I'm going to close. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's, that's what he's saying. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, we've heard that before. You remember that? In chapter 1, verse 8 of this same book. Remember what he said? He said, uh, verse 7. For let, uh, let's back up to verse 6. Again, these are similar passages because he says, when he's talking about asking for wisdom, in verse 6 he says, let him ask in faith 
with no doubting, for he, does, he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Somebody who's not believing. How do you, how do you get your faith built up? By hearing the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word. How much time are you spending in the Word? Somebody said, I don't have time. Yeah, you do. Make time. Make time. Get you something on your phone that will play it to you while you're doing some other task. All right? Make time to hear God's Word. And I'll say it like this. <clears throat> if you have to choose between Caleb and the Word, do the Word. Do the Word. That's God's foundation. And that's how your faith. I love, I love good music. I love a good testimony. But that's not what builds our faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. Listen to Caleb. I'm not against that. I'm just saying if you're, if you're not getting any time in the Word, cut something down and make sure you're getting some Word in you. That'll be, build your faith up. He says this guy, he said if he don't act in faith, uh, he said... He won't receive anything. Look at verse 8. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now go back to the verse 8 in chapter 4. He says, uh, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. That double-minded is somebody in the Greek, it's somebody with two heads. It's somebody that's got two heads. That's the illustration. Like this head's trying to give a command, and this head's trying to give a command. That's how it's stressed in the Greek language. So how frustrating would that be if you pull out the parking lot and this head is saying, I want a Frosty from Wendy's, and this one's saying, I want a dip cone from Dairy Queen. And I just lost everybody, didn't I? Everybody's saying about ice cream now. <laughs> but you see, that one head's trying to say, do this, that, this. So that's what the Bible's calling double-mindedness. God wants us free from that so that we can be single-minded and single-eyed, or His will will be our goal. Lord, we thank You for this time we've had together. We thank You for Your Word. This is stuff we need to learn and know, and stuff we need to grow in. None of us have arrived, Lord, but we're on a journey. And I'm just asking that You mold us and make us into Your image. Let this journey be real in our lives. Help us to do Your will and not our own. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen.